Um, I want to ask a quick question. How many of you were here Tuesday night for Tuesdays at Grace? Yeah, so how many of you that were here Tuesday night for Tuesdays at Grace think everybody else should come and join us? Oh, really? Well, let me tell you, I'm here to tell you, it was awesome. So we started with North Flathead Worship, and he had a few songs of worship. And then Shanae had a teaching, and then we met in small groups, and we had discussion, and then came back for questions afterwards. And it was an amazing time. So I encourage you to come out Tuesday night and to connect with us and to connect with other people and connect and really learn what we're trying to do through this whole the exchange is to learn what it means to have a God who sees us and knows us and loves us and wants to communicate with us. He wants to have conversations with us. And so join us on Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. Here's a beautiful thing. I'm on vacation this week, so I can't be there. But that is the wonderful thing about Tuesdays at Grace is you can come to one. You can come to all of them. You can come to three of them. When you can make it Tuesday at 7 o'clock, we'd love to see you in the cafe. And if everybody came, we'd have to bring it in here, and that would be even better. So imagine if we all learned how much God loves us and how much he wants to have conversations with us, and we learn to trust him. That would be really great. Um, the next thing I want to ask is for um, anyone who graduated this year from high school or college, um, universities, would you please stand? I don't know if we have anybody in here. We have a few. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, that's good. It's good. I, so good. I love second service. You are all so much more excited and awake, and it's just so much more fun. So I want to pray for you real quick, those of you who graduated. Father God, these young, amazing young people, that you love them. You see them, you know them, and you have an incredible plan for their lives. God, I pray that they would know you. I pray that they would walk in the steps that you have prepared for them. And I pray that we as a church would remember them, God. Remember these new life phases that they are going into, God. Wherever you are taking them, whatever the path may be, we thank you that you are on the journey with them. And we say we remember them because, God, we love you and we love them. In Jesus' name, amen. So the a um, couple more things. I just want to remind you that a few weeks ago, we changed this service time to 11 o'clock. So we start at 11 o'clock. And then I want to introduce a really good friend. His name is Martin Sanders. And he has been around Grace for many years, but Martin is a dear, dear man. And I told first service, if there was one person, one individual that I could choose to just sit and converse with and learn from and have teach me about what it means to have a relationship with God, it would be Martin Sanders. And he has a word for you this morning. I talked to several people after first service, and they were like, that was so and we need it. And so I pray that your hearts would be open and your minds would be open. And would you welcome Martin Sanders? Today is one of the great days of the church year, and it's a day when we celebrate communion. Whenever the church celebrates communion, there's two things have to happen. One is there's always something to leave behind. If you come and go, I think I'm caught up. I don't think there's anything to change in my life. Think again. And uh, today's just one of those days. It's a natural. You leave something behind, but you also ask and receive something. So today, I want to address what it's like for us to leave behind an orphan spirit. Some of you are going, don't, don't know about this one? Let me describe it for you. 
number of my friends, actually dozens and dozens, have adopted international children. There's a whole syndrome that seems to follow some of these kids as they're making their transition from wherever they have come from to wherever they are going. And one of the things is just this hoarding, hoarding of resources. It starts with basics like food. These children, because they've come from limited resources, tend to stuff things like food in their pockets. Whatever they can find, they're afraid, they've never seen it, they're afraid they won't have more of it. So they stuff it in their pockets, they hide things in their pillows. They uh, eat far too fast, and some of you are going, I, I do all those things. <laughs> yeah, you do them for different reasons, though. Um, and there's a counseling center later, and we can refer you over there for that. But there's, there's, there's just this sense that there'll never be enough for me. And I live in sort of fear of not having a future that I want. We hoard resources... Later, we're going to mention this spirit of poverty that seems to come in. It happens with adults. It happens to all sorts of people who live in this sense that everything I have is not quite enough. And I, I, I need to hold on to what I have. Adopting children, one of the keys is to just help them understand their identity. It's both who they are, but also whose they are that very often they're going, someone finally wants me. And will I be safe here? Will I be loved here? Sometimes there's a new name, a first name, or most of the time a family name goes with this. It's basic identity stuff. Let's transition from international children who are adopted to our text for the day and our purpose for the day. The transition from orphan to heir, is that we are accepted. And for some of us, that's still a question or a challenge. What God wants us to get is this sense of security, both in who we are and who we are in him. That when this happens, both for children who are adopted, but also for us, we're free to love and be loved as never before. There's just this capacity begins to expand. Again, both to love and to be loved. And to enjoy the now and not have this fear and worry about what comes next and will it ever be enough. There's sort of a clarity in the heart and the soul. It's part of the identity of freedom. And this new or renewed identity, if I do my job well in the next about 27 minutes, for those of you who like to time things, maybe 28 We'll cover these sorts of things. Let's clarify identity. Because your identity is so crucial. For some of us, I have no idea why it takes us so long to get this one. But it does. Of who we really are and whose we really are. We'll sit in services like this, hear amazing messages. We'll read the text and go, God, I want to get this. And then somehow go on like it was before. So with their identity, let's look at what we're really like. Now this one intrigues me, what we're really like. I'm around some really good people, and sometimes I want to stop and go, you don't get it, do you? you if, you if you could only see what God sees, you, you'd be different. 
we've got some pretty close friends, and one of the things we do is we actually have an old mirror, and wherever we're meeting, we carry it around. And when somebody starts talking, we just put the mirror up and go, dude, why can't you see what we see? And sometimes there's a tough side to that. Like, why are you such a schmuck? I mean, why, why is that crap still around in your life? Like, shouldn't you have sort of outgrown some of this by now? But often on the other side, it's like, don't, don't you get how good you could be? And why are you still playing these games when you could be this? more. Why aren't you getting this? If I'm ever in a church doing a series, I always request that right up here, there's a mirror. And anybody who comes up to pray, I don't listen. I'm not a great listener anyway. And so it's just much easier for me instead of saying, um, I, I, I want to tell you my story. Go, no, no, I'm, you're not going to tell me your story. I'm going to hold up the mirror and go, why can't you see? Why can't you see it? It's part of this identity that God is transforming in you. Let's get this. How you see yourself becomes so crucial. And one of the keys then becomes the self-talk that runs in your head. I wish we had the technology. I would love this. Took electrodes up to everybody's head. And go up on the big screen to just see what runs unguarded in your head. Not to embarrass anyone. But you could go, oh, dear God, I let that stuff run unguarded in my head continuously? Yeah, you do. You do. It doesn't make sense to those of us who know you well, especially the people who love you most. Go, Why is that still run up there? I uh, had to work just recently with a missionary who was in Latin America. He was home on a one-year home assignment. Um, required by his mission, one year every four years. And he'd had a coach, and he met with his coach. And uh, coach felt kind of stuck, and he said, I need to send you to Martin. They send the bad ones to me. And uh, so he goes, oh, oh, no, I must be in trouble. I'm getting sent. This is past the principal's office. I have to go meet with Martin. And so we sat with him for just a little bit, and I said, here's what we're going to do. You think we're going to meet every day and talk about you? We're not. We're not going to meet again for the next three days. You're going to track all the self-talk that runs in your head. Now, whenever I'm speaking at a conference, I always have anywhere from two handfuls to multiple dozens come up to me and go, Martin, you always talk about going to the next level. I want to go to the next level. Um, what do I do? Where do I start? And I've kept track so far this year. There have been several hundred. And the youngest was 18 and the oldest was 81. Uh, that's a pretty good span. And from 18 to 81, I give everybody the same assignment. Track your self-talk. So let me go back to this missionary. I said, track your self-talk and come talk to me. So he came back three days later. And I said, what's running in there? And he goes, you won't believe it. And I said, I, I, I will. You, you don't believe it. I'll believe it. He said, multiple times a day, there is this very clear, distinct voice in my head that just blurts out, you stupid son of a bitch. I go, that's not missionary talk. I said, whose voice is it? And he goes, it's my brother's. Because I was 10 or 11. My brother said it to me probably every day as long as I could remember. Now, whether that's true or not, doesn't matter. 
In his head, it's true. He goes, I'll turn a corner, and I won't make the turn perfectly. It'll just run in my head. Okay, you ready to get rid of that voice? And he goes, I have to. I saw him seven weeks after we had talked through and prayed through and broken this thing. And I saw him and his spouse, and she stood up. I'd never met her before. She hugged me and wouldn't let go, and she goes, thank you. I feel like I got a different husband. She goes, what is it about this self-talk stuff? And I said, I don't know, but it's really crucial. It's part of your identity. So come on, folks, track yours. It's time to break it. By the time we get to the end of today, we'll figure out how and why. Let me shift, though, to a phrase. I want you to think back growing up. Now, I can never say when I was a small boy. I was never a small boy. I was 11 pounds when I was born. And by my 13th birthday, I had hit 6 foot, 200 pounds, and size 13 shoes. So speakers always go, when I was a small boy, and I, I can never say that. I'd say when I was young. <laughs> but most all of us remember growing up a phrase. If not a phrase, there was just this sense about us. And for some of you, it was neither a phrase nor a sense, but it was the look. You got the look. Most of the time, the look wasn't a look of kindness. Most of the time, the look was like, you're in deep trouble now. So whether you got the phrase or the sense or the look, I want you to remember it. Remember it. Because it was a long, long time ago, and some of you still have that same phrase running in your head or the same look, or the same sense. My, my mother gave me a great gift. I mean, we'd had a tough life. My father died right after I turned 15. And growing up, I know it's hard to believe, but I, I, was, I was an overweight child. Please don't laugh at the fat kid. Come on. That's just mean. And so it was, uh, it was the same phrase, but it was encouraging. Come on, you can do that. You can do that. My father died when I was 15. I think my mom was tired, depressed. I was the youngest. She just became highly affirming. So whatever I asked, she'd go, you can do that. So on limited ability, I have this phrase that runs in my head that says, you can do that. I remember the first time I took on a consulting job where I charged way more than I was worth. And it was the night before I left, and my wife said to me, are you... Uh, you're all nervous about tomorrow? And I gave her this look. She goes, not even popped in your head, has it? And I said, nope. She goes, I suppose on the plane tomorrow you're going to get a napkin and write a few strategic questions and get up there, and the phrase in your head is going to be, I can do this. And I said, that's kind of my plan. And she goes, on limited ability, you accomplish so much. Your mother could have ruined you, but she gave you this phrase, you can do it. And you, you happen to believe it. I said, thank you. She goes, I don't think that was always affirming. She gave me a great gift. You didn't all get that same gift. I'm aware of that. That's why a long time ago I committed my life to mentoring leaders. Because what I discovered is if you didn't get one of those phrases, somehow, under God's economy, if we can intersect with somebody that we know and love and trust at the same moment, there's a new phrase can come. And you don't have to listen to that same old phrase year after year after year. So for the orphan spirit, let's begin to identify what are the voices that run unguarded? What's the phrase? 
Let's grow our way out of these and either embrace the good ones or renounce them and ask for a new one. Let's get some common language on the orphan spirit, shall we? The orphan spirit is having difficulty connecting with God as father, with the father in general, but particularly with God. But the orphan spirit, you're not secure in a father's love. Sense of being comes out of what we do rather, and what we have rather than who we are. If not you, you know people like this. There's a sense that I just, I don't belong. Adopted children often have it, and mean siblings often say to one, you aren't from our family, you were adopted. I have to deal with that all the time. People actually go and check. I mean, they have DNA because a sibling said, you, you're, not, you're not in our family, you were adopted. Sense that we don't belong. Not accepted. And so what happens is we tend to cling to all sorts of things, possessions, titles, material things, our own reputations. Some have to be right. You, you know those people. A few of you are those people. It's challenging to deal with you. In churches, we hold the theological positions and we'll fight for those things. We serve and serve hoping somehow to earn status because it's all about our performance. And then sometimes we create this terrible thing called a worm theology. And people just spew it out, go, yeah, there's no good thing in me. I, I don't deserve any good thing from God. Really? That's sort of opposite to what he says of you. So let's take a look. As a father's, the children of the father, what's it look like? Why do people have an orphan spirit? Well, you can blame your parents if you want to. They get blamed for lots of things. And a few times it's right and they can take it. But it's not just that. It comes from other places. Sometimes an orphan spirit comes because the circumstances of our life include things like abuse. I hate that in the church we have to address these. I hate that we have to sometimes say things that should be unspeakable but they happen to good people and we have to address them because it creates something that is challenging for us then to connect with God as Father. Regardless of what kind of abuse it is, the abuse can come from family, it can come from others, why there's such a big deal about bullying. I discovered when my oldest daughter hit middle school, junior high, one of the things that annoyed me so much is no matter how good a dad I was, no matter how great a home life we established, there was some jerky 12 or 13-year-old girl at school had more control over my house than I did. Some stupid thing she said or done set my daughter off, which then set the whole family off. I'm going, who is this little monster? <laughs> I want to meet her. Because one foolish thing she does disrupts my house. That's ridiculous. There's enough blame to go around. Let's identify what's there and how we're going to address it. Because the phrase that runs is a sense that I don't belong. I'm not accepted. We're a week out of Father's Day. Let's 
Let's talk about fathers for just a moment. Because there's three types of fathers. Because God is often connected as father, there's three types of fathers that sort of leave us with a sense of being orphaned. The first one is abusive. Unfortunately, these do happen. The worst of these seems to be the last one. It should never happen, but sometimes does. If nothing else, it leaves us with a sense of being unprotected and just sort of out there. Out there either unguarded or out there for sort of the wolves to have at us. There's the absent father. Father isn't there either physically. For mine, for example, died suddenly, wasn't there. Divorce, abandonment, it, they all happen. But there can also be emotionally silent, emotional neglect. Sometimes because of depression or work, they're just not there, can't engage, don't, won't. But it leaves this sort of scar, longing, craving that creates an orphan spirit. And then there's the critical father. Tensions are good, but it feels like anger to the kids. It's conditional approval. You'll get my love and approval if or when. It leaves us feeling like we're never quite good enough. We don't affirm each child's uniquenesses, rather than run them to conform to a standard that we've established. And I put these up here because for some of you are going, I kind of know that about myself. I never connected. That's the link to why I don't connect with God the way I'd like to. Let's go after these. Now, normally, I like to start with a passage of Scripture and work our way through it. Today, I want to go in a different round because some of you are a little worried. I can tell by the look on your face, like, I think we're still in the introduction This is going to be a long, long sermon. Not necessarily. It's what's called an inductive sermon where we give you, we pull you in up front and then we bring the text to life at the end. That's what this one is for those of you who are worried. I I could tell because you're looking at your watches and it wasn't because I wasn't interesting. Thank you. Let's, Let's frame this and then go to the text. First of all, you have the acceptance and approval of the Father. I promise. It's about hearing his voice. One of the great things Grace has done here is started things called the listening room. I actually did the first listening room here you ever did. And I did something that you should never, ever do in church. We had an open mic. Those things are dangerous. But at the end, I said, I want to try it. We're going to have brief but meaningful comments. If they're neither brief nor meaningful, I'm a good enforcer. I'll shut it down. What I found interesting, I said we can have up to 10 people. Nine spoke. Seven of the nine were men. And choking back deep emotion, he said, this is the first time I've ever heard my father speak to me. I have told that story other places. And they go, will you do one here with us? And I'm going, you can do them yourself. Like it's not that hard to create space. And a few things of listening so you hear it. Old and New Testament, they heard the Father speak to them. Now I love it for those of you that are King James people because it says, the Father spaketh unto them, saying. It's always great when the Father spaketh. 
It's just a little more special when you get the spaketh. My oldest son said to me, Dad, there's something going on in my life and ministry. My oldest son's a unique guy, big guy, tattooed sleeves, final, final stages of a PhD. And on staff in a larger urban church, his, his address is actually Beverly Hills. Don't get too excited. He's a grad student. It's not the great side of Beverly Hills. And he said, Dad, it's really interesting to me. Because people say to me almost every week, Bo, you talk about hearing the Father's voice as if it's normative. And they go, I've, I've never heard it. And he goes, it is normative for me. He said, Dad, I think I've figured something out. When the Father speaks to me, he sounds a lot like you. And I thought, man, I got one right. It's always great when you get one right. And he said... I think it's easier for me, but I'm trying to teach other people how to do this. He said, here's what I do. He goes, it works with my crowd. See if it works with your crowd. And he said, whenever somebody says, I don't hear the father speak, he said, the first thing I do is I look at them and say, tell me about your dad. He goes, almost every time their eyes go down. I said, well, I don't think that's across the board. I think it's a generational thing. I think it works with your crowd. And he goes, try it out with your old crowd. See if it works. <laughs> so I have. Still works. There have been so many men in their 50s that come up to me and said, Martin, I've never heard God speak to me in any way in a father's voice. I say to them, tell me about your dad. Every single time their eyes go down. You know, it was, yeah. When you're accepted and have the approval of the father, the scripture's fairly clear. You hear his voice. You receive his approval. There's something enjoyable about the relationship. And you want a little more of it. It's what it's like when you're not an orphan. You want to hang out with the people who love you most. Second part of this is you identify your images of father. Such big issues for young adults. I spend most of my time with people in their 20s and 30s. I get people after college, usually after 25. These days I only run a doctoral program, so I actually get them a bit older. But my connection points are mostly people in their 20s and 30s week in and week out. It's interesting to me to listen to how these issues about families and fathers frame issues of God. And it's not because we've done things wrong, it's often we just haven't been direct in saying the things that need to be heard. Psalm 103 is just one of those great pictures of God. Now, one of the things I have learned in this last decade of my life. It was my 50th birthday, and a really good female friend said to me, Martin, we're going to celebrate. Your dad died at 49, you're hitting 50, I'm bringing a good Cuban cigar, and we're going to celebrate. Good. So we did, and uh, this thing was way better than I expected. And uh, I thought, well, I, I, think I, I think I might, this might work for me. It's always nice to celebrate your first good cigar with an older Jewish woman. <laughs> Just sort of seems like God, doesn't it? So I figured out in my 50s, one of the best ways I get access to the souls of young men is to say to them, how long has it been since you smoked a good Cuban? And they go, never had one. I said, do you want one? They go, you got them? And I go, I have them. <laughs> 
So I just got started. I remember the first time I was with a group of young guys, and I sort of figured out who was the ringleader. And I went up to him, and I said, dude, how long's it been since you've had a good Cuban cigar? And he goes, never had one. I said, you want one? He goes, you got them? I went, I have them. <laughs> and I said, hey, I'm going around the next couple days. You pick the night. You got a fire pit? And he goes, of course I got a fire pit. I said, okay, you pick it. I'll come. Bring 10 of your buddies. We'll smoke a cigar. And I want to talk about your soul. He goes, what do you mean my soul? And I said, that side of you where you never go. If you're man enough, let's do it. I'll show up. You got 10 of your buddies? Good. If you're not man enough, fine. I'll go home. I showed up and he had 11 buddies. Fortunately, I had 12 cigars. And we got started and they oohed and nod about the cigars and we're fine. That's not why we're here. So we're here to talk about your soul. Question number one. Are you aware of why you're so angry? Let's talk about it. Pointed to a guy I never met and I said, you, you look like you're the most angry. You start. I said, if you guys talk too long, I'll go like this, speed up the process. If it's not, you're not saying enough, I'll clarify with questions. I was watching the time pretty close. I'd asked for an hour, wanted to stick within an hour. And I had about four minutes left. I cut the last guy off and I said, let's wrap this up. The first guy who spoke started and he talked about a stepfather who'd hurt him and abused him. They talked about coaches who'd let them down, dads who'd disappointed them, parental discipline that went way too far. Everybody had a story. And as everybody was telling their story, I was watching around the fire how guys were turning away and going like this. I was not prepared for the depth of emotion these guys were willing to talk about. Uh, there's something going on here. So I said, okay. Let me describe God from Psalm 104. He's nothing like the men who've disappointed you and let you down. I quickly described it, and I said, now, the next 60 seconds, I want to see if you're man enough to give control of your life over to God. Because the one thing that nobody's taught you is that real men, not the kind of guys you hang out with, but real men, love God. And I said, once we get tonight settled, I'll come back and I'll teach you how to love a woman, too. <laughs> Made this short presentation about what God is like, and I said, you've got 60 seconds left. The next 60 seconds, I'm going to give you an opportunity to stand right here, cigar in hand, and give control of your life over to God. Some of you are wondering, am I man enough? Because you're wanting to run right now and your heart's beating so hard, it's okay. That's what it's like. So I'll give you another 30 seconds. Let's see. Come on. It's time. Stand up if you want to give control of your life over to God. Of the 11 guys, seven stood. And over the next 48 hours, two more did. Found a church nearby that was good at discipling young men, passed them on, and I thought, this is just a fluke. So I've tried it. I've now done it in 13 countries with people from 31 countries. It works every place. Seriously, I've seen... In cigar evangelism, we've gotten to see almost 1,000... 1,000 young men come to Christ. I call it smoking in tongues. Here's what I also find funny. is that For some reason, young Latino women like it too. Now, here's, you can't make up stories this bad. 
in two weeks, I have a request for a girls' cigar night. There's 25 young women aged 20 to 35 and me. And I just got four texts this week. Martin, could we add a couple more? I go, no, there's already 25 of you. I don't, I don't know what to do. But here's why. I, I, I have a few uh, undiscerning men who go, this seems kind of creepy. Somewhere between sort of Solomon and Hefner. <laughs> and they went, you know, not at all. This is orphan spirit stuff. This is orphan spirit stuff. And they're going, who loves me? Do I matter? Do I matter? I did one of these in the spring, 13 younger women. I got seven calls by noon the next day from husbands and fathers who said, I have no idea what you did, but I had to listen for more than two hours. They wouldn't shut up. <laughs> and they're going, you, you've created something. I said, no, no, it's all there. It's just time for you to listen and respond. The image matters. We communicate these in family structures. The final one here for us is just simply receive his blessing. To hear it, feel it. There's a new name often comes, sometimes a, a pet name. Sometimes the spirit of God actually will give you a new name. It's quite fascinating. When you reach this full adoption thing, there's just gifts come. Gifts come to children who are adopted. When you're adopted into the family of God, God gives you unique gifts. Let's hear what he has to say about this. How do we address an orphan spirit? God is so clear, it's as if he shouts. Hear it. In 1 John, it says, How great is the love of the Father. You can't read this looking down. It's as if God is standing and saying, How great is my amazing love for you that I have lavished upon you this amazing thing called my love, that you'll be called my children. It's exactly what you are. Move to Ephesians chapter 1. It records it like this. It said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with ev- in the heavenly realms every spiritual blessing in Christ. Listen closely. For he chose you in Christ before the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In his love, he predestined you to be adopted as his daughter, as his son, through Christ Jesus, in accordance with his pleasure and will. As the passage goes on, he says, I I bought you back. I wanted you. I came after you. And I have absolutely offered you my complete forgiveness in Christ. I want you to get this. I want no one to miss this. Here's exactly what he says. To every single one of you sitting here, he says, I know your name. This is not a threat. I know where you live. (laughs) I'll come after you. It'd be easier if he did. But instead he goes, I know your name. And I want you. Don't worry about getting it perfect at first. I just want you. I want you to come and be with me. And then he adds this. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's happened to you, no matter what you need. Let me say it again. 
No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's happened to you, no matter what you need, I want you to be mine. I have put the offer on the table. Will you take it? That's what communion is about. It's one of the great traditions of the Christian church. So how do you experience this? It's got to move folks from a cognitive understanding to this heartfelt embrace. It's got to be experienced. One final passage. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, then you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, here's what the church has done. We've taken the final statement. You will know the truth, as if cognitive understanding is what does it. You will know the truth, and it's the truth that will set you free. It's not what this passage says. The passage says, if you take these truths, that you are my sons, you are my daughters. I want you. I've come after you. I welcome you. I want you. If you will take those that I have redeemed your life, forgiven you completely in Christ, if you will own these, you will be my disciple, and then that's the truth that'll set you free. Yes. And very often it's just subtle whispers that do it. I want you to figure out how do I walk with him in this? Well, let's resolve those identity issues. We've got to walk with him through this. The spirit of poverty has to be released. Otherwise, you'll hoard things and self-protect and won't trust for what comes next from the Father who wants you. We've actually created adoption ceremonies for people. We've done them in churches. They're really intriguing to me. When I first did the first few, I went, these are weird, but they work. I watched the guy stood right there. There was an older woman, and she was one of the prayer people. He had to be 6'5 and 20 years younger than her. And she held him like a little kid and had to reach up, and she stroked his head, and she said, Precious child, you are loved. I thought, this is weird. But I tracked with that guy. And he said, Martin, it's a phrase I'll never forget. It's the phrase I needed. And I said, wasn't it a little weird? And he goes, it was. But it was great for my soul. We have father blessing ceremonies. There's manhood, womanhood ceremonies. I want to take just a moment and tell you about the first manhood ceremony. We've, we did one as little as two weeks ago. We've done hundreds and hundreds of these, again, for people from dozens of countries. I remember the first one. I was a pastor, really young, young pastor in a church in Chicago. We had five young men in our youth group whose fathers had left the families. And uh, moms were trying to do a good job, had a really hard time. And the men of the church said, these guys are 15, 16 years old. We want to adopt them. And we're going to do a manhood ceremony for them. And so we set it all up. No, no one had ever done one that we knew of before. That was more than 30 years ago. And so we set one up, had a breakfast, had two lines of men, sort of like you walk through a gauntlet. Had these young chaps stand down there. I was the pastor, had an older guy with me, one of the elders. 
We called these young guys one by one to step into their manhood and their future and their destiny. They walked through this tunnel of men. Well, reached out and put hands on them, spoke a word over their life. It was almost like you could see these guys grow up in front of you. It was intriguing. And we finished up. We were packing up and everything. And I looked up, and one of the old guys was standing right out there where the young guys had stood, where the 15-year-old boys had stood. The old guy was standing there, just standing there like this. I said, John, what are you doing? He was choking back tears. He goes, Martin, how old do you have to be before you're too old to get a blessing? John, how old are you? Now, this was blue-collar guy, clearly working-class bloke. In those days, he would have been described by his peers as a man's man. Not that morning. John, how old are you? He goes, 71. I said, I think 72 is a cutoff point. (laughs) I said, guys, come on. John needs us. And he stood there and he said, I'm 71 years old, and I thought, if I'm ever going to get it, today's my last shot. I cried like a baby. His family was so grateful. Folks, there's something about hearing the words of the Father spoken over people. When Grace Church becomes the church God intended you to be, this will become natural to you. You'll identify who people are, and the phrase will run, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's happened to you, no matter what you need, we will speak the words of the Father over you. It's this divine partnership. As we go to communion, here's what it looks like. It's your human spirit and God's amazing Holy Spirit put together. He's made his offer, and the offer goes like this. I am the great God of the universe. I am the creator of all that exists. I'm the father of your soul. And I want you. The depths of my love are so profound, I've actually accessed my son to give his life for you. And Jesus steps into the spotlight. He goes, I have come that you can have a different and amazing life. I will give mine in exchange for yours, my life for yours. But you can't keep your old life. You got to leave it behind. The orphan spirit, the grasping for more, you leave it behind. You welcome me. It's this divine partnership, and you will be in him. I want the people who serve communion to come. We're going to distribute this. This morning's a day to leave something behind and to embrace something. All remnants of the orphan to spirit have to be released, folks. The old phrases, don't keep them around. They don't fit anymore. After first service, I said to one woman, I, I, I'll bet after one of your children, you were, your body form and shape and weight was significantly different than now, right? She goes, yeah. And I said, you can't wear those old fat clothes anymore, can you? She goes, no. I said, but you keep phrases around like your old fat clothes. They're ridiculous. They don't fit anymore. It's time to release them. So take time. Take the bread and the cup. The only requirement this morning to take communion is, is there a desire to lead a new life in Christ? Their desire to be different, 
or take. We'll walk you through this in just a moment.